Amen. You can grab a seat. What a joy to uh, have our kiddos involved in our worship gathering this morning, singing, sharing in God's Word. And uh, it's a good day. Today we start our journey through the book of John. A two-year journey, 78 sermons, all right? This is going to be fun. And uh, we're, we're going to kick this off today with the first 18 verses here. My name is Justin. If I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, it's a joy uh, to be with you and thankful that you're here this morning. And uh, as we begin the book of John, I, I just want to encourage you, turn there in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat back in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to take one of those as our gift to you. Uh, go in the index, turn to the book of John, and uh, find that page, and we're glad you're here. Uh, several years ago, when we first started the church, we gathered with 21 people in our home for the very first time. Uh, this was a very diverse group, some who had been followers of Jesus for a while, uh, some who were just curious about Jesus and wanted to know more, people from various backgrounds, people in different stages of life, and this was one of my favorite seasons as a church, and here's why. We were seeking to see Jesus. That was our hope. That was our desire. That was our aim, and what I learned from this very diverse group is that everyone has a painting or portrait of Jesus in their mind. Some, some have a very clear portrait or picture of Jesus uh, that aligns with the Bible that we're going to read, or the, the Jesus we read about in our Bible, the, the Jesus that we're going to read about here in the book of John. Some people have a very accurate picture because they've spent time with the subject. They've spent time with the Word of God. They've looked at who is Jesus, and, and, and they've discovered through the Bible this very clear picture. They they have an understanding of his identity, of his character, of his nature. Uh, but some of us have this distortion of who Jesus is. We have a distorted picture. We don't see Jesus clearly. Some of us overemphasize the truth of Jesus. And maybe we grew up in a, a fundamentalist church that was very heavy-handed with truth. And so we see Jesus and we paint a picture of Jesus as being harsh or unrelatable. Or some of us maybe grew up that really emphasized the love of Jesus and an overemphasizing of the love of Jesus causes us to, to see a, a Jesus who would never address sin or would never call us to obedience. And, and we really need to have a, a proper understanding, a proper picture, a proper way of viewing and seeing Jesus that is in alignment with what the scriptures teach, not just this idea or picture in our mind. We want to have an accurate picture of who Jesus is because who Jesus is is very important to how we live. And so we spent the first several months of our existence seeking to clearly paint a picture of who's Jesus. And here's what, here's what happened. Uh, the more we fully came to see Jesus, the, the more accurate our, our picture of Jesus became, the more fully we believed and the more fully our, our lives were transformed. And so in the early days, we were seeking to see Jesus. When we first started our very first sermon series, I was like, let's teach through the entire book of Luke. And I went online and I was like, how to break down the, the gospel of Luke. And the first thing was, if you're starting a church, you shouldn't preach through the entire gospel of Luke. 
And I was like, well, that's, that's great wisdom. Why? And it's like, well, because there, there's so much, the length of time, the, 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 the season that you're in as a church and the things you're needing to address. And, and, but it was like, we, we want to start with Jesus. And so we broke that down into smaller chunks. We started with the parables of Jesus. We looked at Jesus. Our journey began with looking at Jesus, an accurate picture of Jesus. And one of the things that I encouraged people to do in that early days was not only to read the Gospel of Luke, not only to read the Gospel of Matthew, but to spend significant time with the book of John. One of those, one of those guys I was spending time with early days of our church uh, was a guy named Truman. And I love Truman. Truman and I got to spend a lot of time together in the book of John. And I remember when, when I gave Truman his, his very, like, we're sitting there at our house. I gave him a Bible. I gave his son. His, his son's name was Truman. We called him Little T. We gave Little T a Bible. And I remember Little Truman came up and he, he looked at his dad and he said, Dad, are you going to help me read this? And he's like, yeah, yeah, absolutely, son. I'm, I'm, I'm going to help you read this. And, uh, and as soon as his son walked away, he said, hey, you're going to have to meet with me. You're going to have to help me. You're going to have to meet with me and walk through this so I can begin to meet and, and begin to teach little Truman. And so we met and we started in the book of John. And I encourage people, start in the book of John. And we asked them to, to, to read the book of John, to meditate on the book of John, to examine the text, to apply the text, to write down questions, to write down things that kind of sparked your attention. And I, I just encourage him to take extensive notes. And then we would meet together and we would talk and we would discuss. And we were forming an accurate picture of Jesus. And here's why the Gospel of John does that so well. The Gospel of John was written by the disciple John. And John, self-proclaimed, is the disciple that Jesus loved. All right? You can imagine that probably didn't go over well. You know, if you're, you're kind of around your, your brothers or sisters and you're like, I'm the child, I'm the most beloved child of our family. Right? Anybody think you're the most beloved child in your family, kiddos? Come on, you can be honest, all right? Some of us think we're the most beloved children of our family. John was the beloved disciple of Jesus. And if you look at Jesus and how Jesus went about his ministry, uh, we, we have these gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that describe the, the, the season of Jesus' ministry, all of his works, who Jesus is, all the way up to uh, his, his arrest, death, crucifixion, and burial of Jesus, and, 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 and resurrection of Jesus. And we see in these accounts, we see that he would gather disciples, and so Jesus had his 12 disciples, and, and as Jesus went, there were more people, there were people that were gathered, that were following, that were onlookers onto who Jesus was, and they journeyed with Jesus, and it tells us in Acts chapter 1, there was about 120 disciples, and so in, in this 120 disciples, you have the 120, you have the multitudes, Jesus spoke to crowds of people, 
5,000 people gathered on a hillside without the projection of voice. It's amazing. He must have had a booming voice, right? To be able to stand up and proclaim and, and Jesus' journey, Jesus traveled, multitudes gathered to, to watch and experience who he was. And, but it said at the, at the end of his life, he has 120 followers. And inside that 120, he's got the 12. And the 12 you know, disciples, they, they journeyed with Jesus day in, day out. They had a kind of inside look behind the scenes, behind the curtain. They, they really could discover this is who Jesus is. And then inside the 12, there was the three, Peter, James, and John. These were the three that Jesus like really journeyed with. And then inside that, we have John. And that's the gospel that we're going to read and discover and spend a significant amount of time. John's gospel, the reason it's, it's so significant to form and shaping, if anyone knows Jesus, it's John. And so that, that's, that's what we're going to do. It's written in AD 90. It's one of the last of the four gospels to be written. And so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have the four gospels that tell the life and testimony of Jesus. This is one of the, the last ones. It was written, they say, some say 40 to 50 years after some of the others uh, were, were first written. And, and they're written in a way in, in which that there is something, and, and it's unique. John's gospel is very unique. 90% of the gospel of John is unique from the other Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels. And what that basically means, there's a, there's a lot of synonymous works. There's some, some, some similarities between Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but the gospel of John is 90% unique. We don't see anything about the parables of Jesus. We don't hear so much about the teachings of Jesus. We don't read about the birth of Jesus, and there's a reason for that we're going to get to in just a minute. So 90% of the gospel of John is unique from the other Three, and so that's why we're going to spend a significant amount of time. But he also tells us in John 20, verse 30, 31, the reason why John wrote this gospel. It says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which were not written in this book. And so there was, there was all of this, you know, you can imagine writing down an account of the life of someone. This is a biography in many ways. And, and someone who's writing a bi biography, the life account of someone, there's, there's no way a book can contain all of the details, all of the conversations, all of the meetings, all of the thoughts, all of the teachings. And it says in this that, that there, there's no way, like there, there, there's many other signs, there's many other things that were not written in this book. It says, but these are written. These very things, the very things that John wrote. It, it seems like there was an intentionality behind why he wrote this book. There, there's reason. Knowing that there are three other accounts, knowing that when John sits down to write, when John sits down to craft this gospel, that there was... Three other gospels already circulating, and, and we have this gospel, and there, there's, there's, there's some uniqueness to this gospel, and he's writing this. These very words are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. 
He, he writes, he presents, he paints this picture of Jesus so that you can see Jesus for who he truly is and that by seeing him, you will believe in him and by believing in him, you will have life. And this is his offering. This is his life work. John is, is, is presenting this, that it would hopefully lead to life and flourishing, that it would deepen our knowledge more of life, what it means to have life. And that's our hope, and that's our journey, is, is we want to spend time with this. We want to spend moments like journeying through this book together so that we can discover more of who Jesus is is. And so we're going to follow some of the same pattern that I taught Truman. And, and the, the, the journey of that is, is that we're going to encourage you guys to journal throughout this. Now, our hope and intention as we began today was to present each of you with a journal, uh, but those have been sitting at the airport since Friday and weren't delivered yesterday. And so they arrive tomorrow. You're going to get a journal that we spent a lot of time fashioning, crafting uh, to help lead you and guide you through this series. And uh, we, we encourage you, we're using the acronym READ. And READ stands for Read, Examine, Apply, and Do. And so we're encouraging you throughout the week that, that you would read the text. Sounds pretty simple, right? Like, just read the text. Like, open the text for the next week and begin to read on it, meditate on it. And you're asking the question, what does the text say? What, what do you discover as you observe this text? Take a moment to read and meditate on it. And then we're going to examine the text. And we're going to examine the text here as, as we preach on Sunday mornings, as you engage in the text on your own time. And just encouraging you to record your notes, insights, questions. Just begin to write down things that you're discovering or learning and it's amazing. I just encourage you to walk through this practice because as you get further down the road, you get to look back and see just these facets of Jesus that are jumping off the page at you. And you begin to see that your picture of who Jesus is is coming more and more in alignment with the Jesus of the Bible. And then we're going to apply it. We're going to apply it in community groups together. And we're going to ask the question, how does this text change me. We're, we're not reading the text just for information. We want to be transformed. Jesus, Jesus uh, John writes us in this text that it would move us to a place of belief and that through believing, we would have life. And so it's meant to change us. And we want to be changed. And I hope that like you're here this morning, maybe you're here and you're just saying, hey, I'm just curious about Jesus. I don't want to be changed. And I'm going, everybody who met Jesus was changed. Everyone who came to, to understand and they have a picture and they, they saw Jesus for who he truly was, their life was forever changed. And we're praying and we're asking and we're hoping and we're believing that lives will be changed through this series as we encounter Jesus. And so, but we, we want to apply it. We want to actually go and not just be hearers of God's word, but be doers of God's word. And so we're going to apply it together. And we're going to ask four questions every week in community group. Those four questions are, who is God or Jesus? What has he done? Who am I? And how do I live? And we're going to encounter those four questions every single week. And, and this ultimately allows us to go, how do we take the good news of who Jesus is, what he's done for us, and apply it to our everyday life? 
Who is Jesus? Who, who does this text describe Jesus to be? Who is he? More, more than it describes the works of Jesus, the Gospel of John, it describes who he is and his nature and character. And so we, we discover who is Jesus and what does he do? What are, what are his acts? What are his miracles? What are the things that he performed? What are the things that he taught? And then what does that say about me? Who am I? As a follower of Jesus, who, who am I? What is my identity in Christ? And then how do I live in light of that? And we're going to walk through, this is going to be done through repetition, and hopefully we'll be transformed. And then lastly, we just go, we go out and do. Like, what do we do in light of this? And that's the D. What do I do in light of this text? How does, how does this message move from, like, my head and, and my brain, and actually, how does it inform my heart and my hands that it actually transforms my life to go and do something? And so that's what we're going to be doing. Those journals will be in tomorrow. We'll get those to you this week. We encourage you to utilize those, take notes, write down, and allow it to form and paint a picture of who is Jesus. All right? So let's kick off. John 1, 1 through 18. Here we go. You ready? Say, I'm ready. Okay, good. All right. John 1, 1 through 18. Here's the background of here, and here's what's going on. This is called the prologue or introductory. Uh, this is like the trailer to the movie. Some, some scholars believe John 1, 1 through 18 was not actually a part of the original text. John actually began in verse 19, uh, but he went back later and added John 1, 1 through 18 as a way of introducing what they, was going to surface later on in, in the book. And so we're going to see out of the gates here, this is, is kind of, and you're going to feel like, whoa, this was way overload today. And, and here's what I want to tell you. We're going to spend two years unfolding this, okay? So if you hear this today and you're going, Man, we, we, we really hit that on a very high level when we talk about the Trinity nature of who God is. And you're like, we could spend the rest of the year just talking about that. We're, we're going to touch it in like three minutes today. And it's a miracle that we're ever, you know, even able to do that. We're going we're gonna to touch these things on a very high level because the whole rest of the book is, is going to give time to, to, to allow this to, to unfold, okay? And so this is the trailer, and what we gain from the, the trailer, what we gain out of this introduction or prologue here is, is not what has Jesus done, but who is Jesus. It's, it's, it's painting this, this picture of the Jesus we're going to encounter. I remember uh, back when I was in student ministry uh, and, and leading high school students, we were doing a series on the life of Jesus. And I brought in, if you're familiar, there's a guy, Scott the Painter. And, uh, and he paints amazing, amazing works, and he's written different things. And uh, we brought in Scott the painter. And one of the things that, that Scott paints is a portrait of Jesus. Uh, but what's interesting about it is he paints the, the portrait of Jesus upside down. And so when we brought in Scott the painter, I, I was introducing this series on the life of Jesus, and he's painting on stage. And you can't really tell. It's the, the whole time he's painting and you're, you're seeing these brush strokes and <coughs> you can't really follow 
what, where, where he's taking us and where it's going. But you, you see he's forming, he's crafting, he's building. It's a masterpiece. And it's not until the final few moments of the sermon that he took the, the portrait of Jesus and turned it upside down. And it's like the room went like, whoa, because it all came into focus. It became really clear, like in that one single moment, we're, we're sitting there, we're discovering, we're watching, we're, we're seeing, we're looking, and, and then all of a sudden it, it comes into focus, and that's the hope. That's what we're asking God to do, that, that he would bring Jesus into focus, that we would see Jesus very, very clearly. And so what we have in 1 through 18 here is the introduction, the, the kind of the, the big painting of who Jesus is, and then we're going to spend two years prayerfully asking God to make it very, very clear. And so the question we're going to ask today is, what truths about Jesus do we see? What truths about Jesus do we see in this text? And, and it starts out, the very first one, in the beginning. And, and I want to ask you, like, where have we heard that before in the beginning? Genesis, right? And so we, we see that there, there's a tie, and, and to the hearers that would hear this book taught, as it kind of jumps off the page, in the beginning, their mind is going to go back all the way to creation. And in many ways, that, that this was going to be a new creation, a new start, a new beginning. What John is painting here is, is with Jesus, it is a whole new creation, a new life, a new beginning is about to begin. And so this would kind of cause the original hearers to, to perk up, to listen, that their mind jumps back to Genesis chapter 1. And it says in, in John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. And we're going to describe what that means in just a few minutes. And the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, what's interesting is where John starts. John starts with not the birth of Jesus. If we, we look back at the other gospel accounts, the gospel account of Matthew, Matthew starts with the genealogy. And so it starts with Abraham. And it shows that through this lineage of people, and then, and then Jesus kind of comes onto the scene, right? We, we read Mark. Mark's gospel is a very fast-paced gospel, so Mark wastes no time. He's like, let me tell you, John the Baptist, and, and he jumps in, and we don't even read about the birth of Jesus. We don't know where Jesus came from when we read Mark's gospel. We read Luke's gospel, and Luke is like the doctor. Like, he is super detailed. All right, kind of OCD and like I want to make sure and, and label every single thing. And so he starts with the birth of Jesus. But John's gospel takes us all the way back and says, hey, I want you to know about the pre-existence of who Jesus is. Jesus wasn't created. Who is Jesus? Well, Jesus was in the beginning. In the beginning, where that draws our mind back all the way to Genesis. In the beginning, when, when everything was created... Jesus was there. Jesus was there. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And what we see in this is Jesus is God. Now, I, I get that maybe we read that and our mouths don't drop and we're just totally blown away with this fact of Jesus being 
God. And maybe you ask the question, what does it really matter? Why does it matter that Jesus is God? Well, it's very essential that Jesus is God because it gives us assurance of our salvation. There's a couple different accounts that we're going to read about in the, in the book of John, as well as other gospel accounts that, that portray this story. In John chapter 5, where the paralytic is healed by the, the pool of Bethesda, Jesus comes and he heals on the Sabbath, and the religious rulers rise up and they go, who can, who can forgive sins but God alone? And they're thinking this thought, and Jesus, in his wits, he could read their thoughts and he answered them, even though they didn't ask the question audibly. And he begins to engage with them. And, and basically, Jesus comes on the scene declaring in that moment that, that he is God. Jesus was God. And, and, and the reason why that's significant is because there's no way any human or mortal being could bear the wrath of the sins of the world. It couldn't be done. It's essential that the Savior be divine. No human, no man could ever save man. 1 Timothy 2.5, it says, There is one God and one mediator, the man Jesus Christ. Only one person is, is able to save. Salvation comes from the Lord, the Bible testifies. And if Jesus is not fully God, there is no salvation, and we are still in our sins. Our sins are against God. Salvation is from God. It is God who saves. It is God who intervenes. It is God who takes the initiative. Jesus is God. Jesus was not killed. Jesus was not crucified. Jesus did not die on a cross because he performed miracles or because he was a good teacher. Jesus died because he claimed to be God. And that is a unique claim against all other faith systems. No other faith system in the world claims that their founder is God. Only Christianity. Jesus is God. But we also see that this unique identity, we see the Trinitarian identity in this idea. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and so there's this idea of being with, but He was also, He was God. And it's this idea of the Trinitarian understanding of like that would take us all year to unfold. And we're going to see that play out. All throughout the book of John, we're going to see the Trinity at play. See the role of the Father. See the role of the Holy Spirit. See the role of Jesus. But they're, they're not multiple gods. They're one God and three distinct persons. And that's very different than our LDS friends believe. It also is very different than our LDS friends believe in our city that Jesus is not someone who progressed into godhood. It says he was God in the beginning, that he wasn't created. He didn't become God. He's always existed as God. There's not multiple gods. There's, not, there's three person in one God. Only Christianity claims us. And so we see out of the gates right here, Jesus is God. And we're going to see that unfold in the life of John, in, in the, the gospel of John as we unfold this book. Second thing is, Jesus is the Word. We read this text, and it, and it may be unique. If you're reading in your Bible, the, the word, Word, is capitalized. It's descriptive of, of, a, of a person, and we don't necessarily draw that conclusion. If we were hearing this 
in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There's probably a lot of context clues that we can pull together to help us understand, like, oh, this is, this is pointing to a person. It's describing a person. But when we get down into verse 14, we, we see that that person, the Word, is Jesus. It says in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Now, the reason the, the word, word, which the Greek word there is logos, the reason John used the word logos has been hotly debated for centuries. Trying to understand, and, and if I could maybe summarize in, in brevity, why, why logos? The word logos was something that was kind of generally understood as as kind of an overarching uh, principle or thought or revelation, and that if we could find the Logos, if we could discover the Logos, if we, if we had the Logos, that it would tell us the true meaning of life. And so there was something that was ingrained in the universe, Logos, and this was kind of a universal term that was used amongst a, a broad audience of people. And so John using that word would be a familiar term. It would be something that connected with the people. And, and, and it was a way to describe that this very person, this very thing, as N.T. Wright says, he said, lying deep within the whole cosmos of, of within, within all human beings, he said, get in touch with this principle, they said. Like, find the logos. If you could discover the logos, then your life would find its true meaning. Well, what John is saying to them, the word isn't this abstract principle or, or, or reason or thought or logic. It is a person, and the person is Jesus. And he's pointing to, to this idea, the source you've been searching for, the source that you've been trying to get connected to, to find true meaning, to, to find significance, to be the remedy of life. The, the, the source of, of that, it's Jesus. Jesus is the person. Jesus is the source of light, the source of forgiveness, the source of life, the source of security, the source of salvation. This was John using an overarching term to describe everything that you're looking for can be found in Jesus. The third thing we see is Jesus is creator. In verse 3, it says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so Jesus doesn't have a beginning. He wasn't created. Everything that was created was created through him. And so we see the role in creation. Jesus played a role in creation. We can go back, Genesis 1.26. This says, let us make man in our image. We see the plurality even right there in Genesis 1 describing the Trinity, the Trinity involved in creation. And it was through Jesus that everything came into existence. And we see this oversight as we are going to journey through the book of John. You're going to see the oversight uh, that Jesus has over creation, that, that Jesus is coming all throughout the book of John to restore things uh, to, to a place without chaos. We're going to see Jesus come and, and we see like his authority, the ability to turn water into wine. Who can do that? But the creator, the, 
the God of the universe, the creator who can create things ex nihilo, out of nothing, that God can come <laughs> and fashion, he can take water and turn it to wine. He can take something that's dead like Lazarus, Lazarus and bring him to life again. This is amazing. The fact that he has that type of authority, we're going to see all throughout the book of John. And this is significant. And you may ask, well, how's that significant in my life? I would say, what area of your life right now, currently, are you needing to experience Jesus' creative power? Is anything too hard for, for the creator to fashion things out of nothing? There is nothing that is impossible in your life that, that he cannot. He has authority over. He is the agent of creation. There's nothing that he can't fashion or work or do. Nothing is too hard for him. And we're going to see that all throughout the book of John. Jesus is life. It says in verse 4, in him was life. Where are you looking for life? He's writing to an audience that had lost hope. He's writing to an audience that was looking to a remedy. He's looking to an audience for for a place of going, what is it that sustains and brings about life? And maybe you're here, and I would just say this message is not one written in AD 90, but it's written today for us, and it has modern application in the sense that it speaks. We're looking for remedy. We're looking for hope. We're looking for life, and that life is found in Jesus. Let me tell you this morning, you can be physically alive and not have life. Life does not mean you're able to walk, open your eyes, breathe. The, the life that Jesus comes is the spiritual life, the abundant life, a life of flourishing. You may ask, what aspect of, of your life is not flourishing? What aspects of your life are you, are you not seeing energized and, and, and flourishing because they're not connected to Jesus? Jesus has come. He's bringing life. He's bringing flourishing life, eternal life, spiritual life. And it says that this life was the light of men, which is a unique term. This, this life that he came to bring, it was light. It illuminated something. It, it, it showed something. It revealed when, when, when life entered in through the life of Jesus, when Jesus shows up and we see the offering of life, our eyes are open to the fact that we're dead. And, and it gives light to, our, to areas of our life that, that when our eyes are open to the life of Jesus, the light of Jesus begins to shine in into the dark places, into the dark corners of our life. And our eyes are open and it, and it reveals, and it reveals our need for life. I think of how often we come, we gather, we walk in these back doors and we come in this room, we're searching for something. I'm telling you, what you're looking for this morning is life. And you're like, well, hey, Justin, this is all old news, man. I've, I know about Jesus. I've read the gospel of John. I'm saying there's so many different facets of Jesus. We, we can never get to the depth. It's easy enough for a two-year-old to be able to come in and wade around 
But in many ways, it's so deep that we never get to the bottom. We never can turn the diamond of Jesus enough to see all the facets and aspects of who Jesus is. If you're here this morning, there is more that Jesus wants to come and bring life. There are areas of your life that are still dead, and we're still unbelieving. We still don't see in the same way that he says that Jesus came and, and that people came and they, they didn't perceive him. They didn't see him for who he truly is. There are areas of our life, these truths of Jesus, that Jesus being life, we have not surrendered to him. And <laughs> excuse me, in many ways, we're holding on to areas of our life and they're dead. We need the life of Jesus to shed light in those areas so that it would reveal the darkness and bring hope and significance and meaning. John Piper said about Jesus being life, he said, what, what we don't see here is like the spiritually dead and spiritually blind. They <coughs> Start over. They don't see Jesus as supremely valuable. They don't see his sacrifice as precious. They don't see his fellowship as their greatest treasure. They're blind to these things. They walk in darkness. They're spiritually dead to the greatest of all realities. And if they're going to see these things and receive them, they must have life, and life will make seeing possible. And that's what we're going to see. We're going to see Jesus walk in, and there's going to be numerous encounters throughout the book of John where people encounter Jesus, and they don't see Jesus for who he truly is. They don't see Jesus. And as we talked about several, several weeks ago on Easter Sunday and celebrating the resurrection, when, when they didn't recognize Jesus and Peter comes preaching at Pentecost, thank you, sir. Helpful. Appreciate it. We see in Acts that they were cut to the heart. Why? Because they truly, in that moment, they saw Jesus for the first time. And so... Jesus comes bringing this life. We're going to see Jesus as the life bringer all throughout the gospel of John. We're going to see that, that Jesus is light. In verse 4 and verse 5, it says, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. Anybody, you, you got to have every light in the room off. Like not, There's not like a little light on, on the Apple TV glaring at you. I mean, every Little thing, you know, no alarm clock. I mean, we're, we put up like coverings over every one of our windows. I was just telling Amber, I was like, we got to figure out how to like cover, you know, the little monitor light for, that's, that's peering at you. I mean, every little aspect I'm going, I, I, I want it gone because one little light comes in and it illuminates the whole room. And Jesus, that's what he's coming to do. He's coming to, to be the light bringer. We're going to see him enter into so many different circumstances and situations where Jesus comes to expose the darkness. And, and that's good news to us. And, and maybe we're here today and we're like, I, I don't want to be exposed. Like, I, I do not want my sins to be for the light of Jesus to shine in. But but it's when the light of Jesus comes, and I, I would just tell you, church, listen, there, there's nothing too dark that Jesus cannot overcome. Jesus overcame death, and this was really a picture pointing to the fact that the, the darkest it can get is when death came, and, and death looks like it, it won, and it, it received victory over Jesus' life, but Jesus even overcame death. 
The very darkness of death, Jesus overcomes. There is no aspect, there is no darkness of your life that Jesus cannot overcome and shed light on and to bring life to your bodies. This is good news. Jesus is the light. We look around in our world today and we we think everything's so dark. Everything that we experience, the chaos of our world, the brokenness of our world, it's, it's dark. And the remedy of this is that, that God would send Jesus as the light to come in and to reveal. To reveal. But all don't see. And that's where it goes on and says in verse 6, it talks about the light. It says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. It's not the John that we're talking about. This is John the Baptist. It said, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And I love his phrasing there. That, that John the Baptist would come, that he would... His goal, his responsibility was to point people's attention to see Jesus. To point people not towards himself, not to gain attention for himself, but to point to the glory of Jesus. And that's our vision as a church. When you think about we want to see the Salt Lake Valley saturated with the good news of Jesus We want to be witnesses to the light. We want to point people to the light. We want to follow the the testimony here of John the Baptist and go like, hey, we just want to point people. Like, we want to point your attention. We have a tendency so often to, to platform other people as the light. We platform pastors as the light. Here's the thing. I'll be a terrible light, all right? And and I'll fail you in many ways. I hope to not fail you, but I will. Because we're imperfect. But there is one perfect light in the world. And John, is, John the Baptist is saying, I'm not the light. I'm not him. I can't be him. But I'm going to testify to him. This testimony of, of, of John the Baptist, it's because John the Baptist truly saw Jesus for who he really was. That he was willing to be a witness. The word witness is where we get, it's the Greek word martyr. We get to, to like, really, that's talking about full-on commitment. To be a martyr, to give your life for a certain belief. That's what it means to be a witness. John the Baptist was saying, I, I'm going all in with Jesus. I'm taking a stand for Jesus. I'm willing to put my life on the line for Jesus. Why? Because I fully see Jesus. I know who Jesus is. And because of that, I'm, I'm fully in. And so he takes a stand, and it's, it's kind of a courtroom setting. He talks about being a witness. If you're going to be a witness, you're putting your, yourself on the line. You're, you're taking a stand. There's no neutral ground when you decide to be a witness. And we need more of that. We need more people to take a stand. We're kind of trying to thread this cultural needle right now, and like, I don't want to offend them, and I don't want to offend them. we got to take a stand. If we're going to be a witness for Jesus, we got to take a stand. And I could stand all day up here and be like, take a stand, take a stand. But that's not what's going to get you there. That's not the motivation. You know what we need to do? We need to see Jesus. We need to see Jesus the way John the Baptist saw Jesus. Because when we see him in all of his glory, that's when we give our life. That's when we commit. That's when we go all in. 
And it says in verse 9, this true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. And you may ask the question, well, if this light enlightened everyone, wouldn't everyone receive him? And the Bible tells us, no, it, everyone doesn't receive him. There are some who reject Jesus. This light, though, is revealed, and what it says, it kind of refers to in Romans chapter 1, where it says that no one has excuse, that the revelation of Jesus is given into all the world, that all the world has ample opportunity to know who Jesus truly is and to see Jesus. Jesus has portrayed himself. He has revealed himself in, in, in nature, in wisdom. He is the, the, the revelation of God as Hebrews teaches. Everything we see about Jesus, Jesus is presented. We're without excuse. And so that light was given to all. It enlightens everyone. And it says in verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him. He's the creator, but the world didn't even know him. And we're going to see that over and over again with the, the religious rulers and the religious leaders of the time. We're going to see that they didn't, they didn't see Jesus for who he truly is. They didn't see him as God. They didn't see him as life. They didn't see him as light, as creator, as the word. They didn't recognize him. They didn't see him. You know, when they're trying to discover like, all right, is that the Messiah? And they're kind of like, I don't know. I don't think that's the guy. Let's keep looking. You know, I mean, there's, there's this sense of going, they, they don't see Jesus for who he truly is. And we see all throughout the, the, the gospel account of John, we're going to see a people who did not receive him. They didn't see Jesus. But to all who did receive him, verse 12, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And this is a fascinating miracle that we can actually become part of God's family. That through the life of Jesus, he, he gives us opportunity to be adopted into the family of God. Some don't recognize him. Some don't see him. They, re they, they, they reject him. They don't have the, the portrait of Jesus. They don't have an accurate. They don't believe life is found in Jesus. But we see, but to all who did see him, who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And it goes on, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And what we're going to see is the pitfall of the religious leaders of the time was they thought that there would be human spiritual practices that, that through religious devotion, through religious activity, we can be born of God. And what John's going to teach us in John chapter 3 is that no human activity can cause you to be born of God. It's not done through your flesh it's not done by your will or your will or your strength. It can only be done by God. Only God can cause new life in you. Only God can cause new birth. Only God can cause this new creation. Only God can do that. And so God takes the initiative. How does he do that? Well, verse 14. And the word became flesh 
took on human form. It dwelt among us. This idea of dwelling among us is, it means literally he pitched his tent, that he tabernacled in the, in the way that God journeyed with the Israelites, that, that God would move in, 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 in Jesus, that he would come, he would dwell among us, he would move into the neighborhood, he would come near. And this is where we see Jesus as friend, that we see the closeness of Jesus. I remember early on in uh, the early COVID days where we were preaching on camera and putting it out online. And I just remember we, we preached a sermon in there of like, Jesus was not, never a social distancer. Like Jesus never stood far off. Jesus never said like, you're, you're untouchable. Jesus always came near. Jesus drew near. Jesus came near. He dwelt among us. He moved into the neighborhood. He came to be with us. And we see this picture of Jesus as friend. And it says he illustrates that through grace and truth. Did you know that to be a good friend means to be, to illustrate and give both grace and truth? We, we can, you know, the Proverbs teaches, Proverbs teaches that uh, wounds from a friend are better than kisses from an enemy. It's the idea of going like, if I'm truly your friend, I'll tell you the truth. And Jesus, he, he tells people the truth. He condemns sin. He, he calls out sin in people's life, but he loves them. He, he reveals this grace and this love. We, we live in a time where we compromise one for the other. We compromise grace, and we're all about truth. And we're just like standing out, like we're just wanting to call out sin in people's lives. But we're not willing to take a brother in our arms and say, hey man, I love you, but you got a booger in your nose, all right? Gotcha, I woke you up there, all right? The, the ability to be honest with people, the ability to be able to, in love, journey in, and we see Jesus do this over and over and over again. Jesus never left people in their sin. He always called them. He called them to more. Some of us go, hey, I don't, I don't want to cause people to be uncomfortable. I don't want to cause people. And so you allow them to journey in their sin and lead them to experience and journey in hell. It's not loving. Jesus journeys. He engages. He encounters. He calls out sin and he invites people into real and lasting life. We need to see this. We need to journey in this. We need to experience this. We need to know the friendship of God for ourselves. I remember early on, uh, I've shared the story once before of, <coughs> of journeying through uh, Fellowship Associates was a residency I went through before we planted. And I, re I remember them walking through and, and like the portrait or picture that I gave them of Jesus was that, that Jesus was almost shaming me. And they're like, Jesus doesn't shame anyone. Jesus invites. There's an inviting nature of Jesus. Jesus calls people to himself, the friendship. And I, I could just tell you the journey that I've been able to experience in the last seven, eight years of planting is, is me coming to, to grips and understanding of the friendship of Jesus. 
that Jesus wants to know you, that he's not holding you at arm's length, that Jesus comes near like he comes near to the man with leprosy. He comes near to the man who's been lame from birth. He comes near to the, 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 the woman caught in adultery. He comes near. He comes near. He's a friend. This is the Jesus we encounter. And maybe you're here this morning and you go, well, if that's true, I'd love to meet him. If that's true, then, you know, I want to know I want to know a God like that. In verse 18, it says, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. What John is saying, if you see Jesus, you've seen God. If you see Jesus, you want to know God? Look at Jesus. Jesus has revealed all of who he is. In all of these truths, in all of these attributes, in all of these characters, this is who Jesus is. And that's what we're going to do for the next two years. We're going to journey. We're going to look at the life of Jesus. We're going to ask ourselves the question, what would it look like for me to fully believe? What would it look like for me to have a full life? What would it look like for me to for, for Jesus to illuminate the areas of darkness in my life? What would it look like for me to experience Jesus as creator? Jesus is God. Jesus is life. Jesus is light. Jesus is friend. I want you to bow your head. I'm going to invite up the worship team, and I'm going to, I just want to ask you a few questions this morning as we close. Where do you need help believing this morning? When we look at these these truths of Jesus and these attributes of Jesus and the character of Jesus, where do you need help to believe? Maybe this morning it's knowing that he is creator, that he is powerful. Maybe there's circumstances in life that you're facing that just seem so overwhelming and challenging and that he, is, he has the power over creation. What would it look like to believe that? What would it look like for you who, this morning, you're, you're looking for meaning in life. You're looking and to truly experience that in Jesus, in him was life, is life. What would it look like for us to experience that life and fully step into that life? We just experience the sense of boredom of life. And he's come to bring abundant life and full life, a life that would cause you to go, I'm all in with Jesus Maybe you're here and you, you feel alone. And you need to experience the friendship of Jesus, that Jesus comes near, the family of Jesus, that he adopts us into a family, that he brings us into community. Maybe it's we need to experience Jesus' light, that he comes in and he dispels the darkness. There's nothing too dark that he can't shine his light on. In the next few moments, I, would, I just want you to think and dwell. Who is Jesus? Where do I need to believe? What are the truths that I need to believe in? Help me to trust. Father, I pray for us this morning as we begin this journey through the book of John.
that you would help us to see Jesus as it describes in all of his glory, full of grace and truth, who gives grace upon grace. Lord, help us to see this Jesus. Help us to to see Jesus in focus, to see the clear picture of who he is. Would you use this book, this gospel, this biography, this account of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus to us? We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. As we stand...